Hello and welcome to the program. My name is Luke Hunt and this is another podcast for The Diplomat. And with me today is David Gum-Ong, who is the uh, Deputy Minister for International Cooperation with the National Unity Government in Myanmar. David, welcome to the program. Thank you, Luke. Thank you for having me. You're having a... It's been a very difficult couple of years. How would you summarise where the NUG is right now as opposed to two and a half years ago when the junta staged the coup and took control of Myanmar? Yeah. Oh, thank you, Luke. Uh, it's, uh, you know, the past two years have been uh, tumultuous, uh, needless to say, and also it's more, even more uh, difficult for civilians uh, inside mm. Myanmar as the junta, you know, goes on to oppress and kill civilians, uh, you know, disproportionately, and there's no, uh, you know, civic space is shrinking, there's no human rights, there's no rule of law, and there's inflation, you know, uh, etc. So life in Myanmar is, has been uh, difficult for, for most civilians, if not all. Uh, for the NUG, I think uh, we have come a very, you know, we've come a long way. Uh, you know, starting, st- we started in uh, April in 2021, and look how far we've come uh, in terms of, uh, you know, where we are on the international stage in the in terms of the diplomatic engagement and also you know support mm-hmm. that we uh, received from from countries all over and also you know people, uh, citizens uh, they they continue to stand with and for democracy uh, and human rights and uh, alongside the NUG in the struggle for democracy. Right. I sat in on a press conference yesterday with the NUG, and the numbers are quite staggering. I think they were saying that uh, up until about January this year, the death toll was around two, two and a half thousand. But since then, something like 4,000 people have been killed by the junta, indiscriminate airstrikes, the fighting. Uh, the, the bloodshed seems to be getting far worse. Absolutely correct. Uh, there are organizations such as AAPP that mm-hmm. uh, keep track of the you know casualties and you know uh, the detainees, political prisoners uh, that are uh, unjustly and and really uh, you know uh, uh, yep. oppressed and you know like being jailed by by the junta. So I think these are just some of the numbers and figures that we uh, uh, that are. On the list, but there there could be many more that are unaccounted for. Right, one so, would think they might be an underestimate. Well, I mean, they, 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 there's always room for you know uh, people you know and and you know also enforced disappearance and just you know uh, normal people that go about their day, but you know uh, became victims of uh, interrogation and also eventual uh, you know they they succumb to mm. lots of. Uh, you know, uh, these brutal treatment by the military, whether that be uh, in the setting of an uh, interrogation center or, uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, the, the NUG, what, 135 ethnic groups, there's the, uh, the EROs, the ethnic revolutionary organizations, there's the, uh, the uh, a range of different militias. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, Give us a breakdown on the NUG. How many groups are in there fighting for the NUG? And how difficult is it to have them coordinate 
as a fighting unit. Hmm. Well, first of all, I mean, NUG is the, uh, you know, uh, at the forefront of the resistance movement and comprising many different, uh, you know, uh, stakeholders, uh, such as the, uh, the elected members that were ousted in the coup, in the attempted coup. Mm -hmm. So the uh, members of the National League for Democracy, uh, you know, those uh, MPs that, that you know, uh, won in the 2020 election. So they had the mandate from uh, from that. And mm -hmm. also uh, ethnic armed groups yep. such as, uh, you know, uh, KIO. And then we have Karani and then we have uh, Karen and we have Machine. So these are uh, the major, uh, you know, EROs that, that really work very closely with the uh, 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 politicians and, and you know, uh, NLD members. I ask that because one of the complaints I'm hearing from inside Myanmar is it's, uh, it's difficult for the NUG to find a coherent voice mm -hmm. and it's also different and it's also difficult in terms of uh, bringing about a coherent, unified, central command structure to do the fighting. Is that the way the NUG sees it? Or how, how do you, mm. what are the problems? I mean, is it a lack of money? Is it a lack of uh, cohesion among the groups themselves? Is it the differences between the ethnic groups? Are people fighting for, uh, for a different outcome? Hmm. I, I wouldn't say there's a, a you know, lack of coherence, uh, but it's obviously, you know, it, it comes with its own challenges, you know, working with, uh, you know, different uh, groups and also people with, uh, you know, that come from different backgrounds uh, for, for all of them to come together and, and work, you know, uh, for the same political objectives. I, I think there, there will be many uh, challenges involved, that's for sure. But in terms of, uh, I think what you're talking about, mm -hmm. the uh, central command, uh, when it comes to the military affairs or when it comes to just the, uh, you know, the bureaucracy or, you know, getting decisions made or, or you know, uh, just coming to a, a consensus. I think, yeah, there will be a lot more, you know, discussions and people trying to sort out uh, differences, but that's just uh, you know that was what we have to what we all have to go through because this is a process. So there will be a lot of uh, you know uh, sometimes there will be you know uh, not really arguments but you know like contentious debates. But you know always we are bounded by we you know we're all uh, in this together. So we uh, we have this sort of like uh, the ultimate goal. So that's what really binds us all together. So there differences of course but you know what's even more important than our you know individual or uh, needs or uh, desires may be but, mm -hmm. but we, we, we really try to work it out right in a way how, how important is Aung San Suu Kyi to this struggle uh, mm. her name mm. is not what it once was it was sullied dreadfully by the Rohingya mm. nevertheless the NLD her party did win power at the last election and they were ousted but how important is she and uh, with much respect she's also getting older and we've seen this around the region where there always seems to be a, a lack of enthusiasm when it comes to promoting young people in political parties and um, you're 
late 20s, early 30s, perhaps you're relatively young, you're the up and coming generation. How do you feel about the older generation and people like Onsen Suji? Right. Uh, you know, uh, first of all, I mean, Dong San Suji, she is uh, still the figurehead of the National Unity Government. There, Also, uh, I think she is immensely popular uh, at home. Uh, mm-hmm. So she still enjoys a lot of support and not in terms of you know politics but also she just uh, she's she still continues to be seen and revered to revered as this, this you know like mother of the right. you know mother suit it's the uh, the endearment like people associate with her so that's how powerful she still remains in, mm. in. And, and that really you know I think uh, st- in a way I think she she's still this sort of driving force for democracy because a lot of people uh, associate Dong San Suji with with this um, you know struggle and movement for democracy. She's seen as this you know icon of democracy, uh, although her reputation was more or less tarnished because of the uh, you know uh, what happened uh, with the our you know Rohingya population, the genocide sure. in Rakhine. But regardless, uh, she uh, I think she she still holds a significant uh, power and authority. And in Burmese, we call this uh, uh, Oza Itima. Mm-hmm. And, and, and because of that reason, I think Aung San Suu Kyi uh, and also, you know, uh, some of the uh, senior leaders of her political uh, party uh, are also critical um, components uh, to this resistance movement. Need, uh, that doesn't mean that, you know, uh, the efforts and the leadership and bravery shown by the younger folks, younger generation, the Gen Z, the younger millennials are to be, you know, uh, dismissed. Of course not, because their contribution to this resistance movement uh, it's even more pronounced and, and it's being celebrated uh, not just domestically but also uh, you know uh, by the international community as the you know younger people uh, emerge as this sort of uh, you know uh, group uh, uh, force uh, that is at the very forefront of this spring revolution. You know there are Gen Zs. Um, uh, I think more than seventy five percent. Are you know that are fighting uh, uh, in the PDFs uh, mm-hmm. in the liberated areas, and that are also uh, in the uh, urban guerrilla warfare. They're mostly young people, you know. So right. those are really the ones that really make making a change and really you know having their lives uh, on the line. So in a way, there's yeah. it has to be this sort of uh, risk mutual respect and more coordination and understanding between the different generations. But like I said, this revolution really transcends all the. You know, demographic uh, lines, uh, ethnic lines, and also uh, geographic and demographic lines. So it's all about you know bringing about this unity that you know never uh, that we've never seen before. It's on a very unprecedented scale, like anyway. In regards to the uh, People Defence Force, the PDF, the armed wing of the NUG, how many people do you have under arms now? I don't have the exact numbers, mm. figures. I, I think people uh, at the MOD uh, that you'll have to speak to. Yeah, to, I think it was last I saw it was about two two hundred and fifty thousand. Maybe more than uh, that. Right. Yes. It's a it's a lot of people. Yes, a lot of people. Of and it's the projection is that the PDFs that are under the uh, com, uh, command of the MOD will mm-hmm. continue to grow uh, significantly. So that's a projection, and there are some. Uh, maybe uh, people that that think it's it might be a threat uh, because they have a different vision or different objective to how things should be done because 
This goes back to the ethnic armies? Uh, you know, but for different reasons. Right. Yeah. In the last two years, what have been the worst moments for the NUG and yourself? Okay, so this is a, this is a quite a diff, diff, difficult question for me. <laughs> uh, it really uh, makes me to reflect upon. So uh, I think the worst moment for the NUG, uh, I think whenever uh, there was uh, you know, a massacre uh, w uh, that mm. entails lots of people being killed, uh, you know, by jet uh, jet fighters. Sure, there were several earlier this year exactly. across from Mesot. Yes, uh, Mesot. There, there. You know, landslides, and there are also just innocent people, uh, you know, random targeted for their political beliefs mm. and, and things of that sort. But uh, I think uh, Baziji uh, incident, and also uh, in in uh, the one in Paket. Uh, mm -hmm. in Kachin State, uh, yep. you know, uh, Anamba. So these these sort of uh, massacres really sh shook everyone, you know, to their core. They're very calculated, if I remember correctly. They were calculated. It was. In the way people were taken. Right. Held in pagodas. Right. Alongside Buddhist monks. Yes. Shot at close range. Yes. yes. It's, it's horrendous, right? It's... Uh, and then there were the children... If I remember correctly, again, that uh, they returned and children, being children, ran ahead of right. their parents. And when they yes. saw the uh, dead bodies, they were, yes. they were killed by sniper fire. Right. So it was, it was really, um, you know, well calculated. It was not an, inc not an accident. It was intentional. Uh, it, was, it was very brutal. It was inhumane. Uh, um, you know, I'm at a loss for words. But things like that really... Uh, I think uh, on a very uh, human level, uh, it, it, it really, uh, I think, it destroyed you. So I think mm -hmm. those mo instances like that would be the darkest sort of uh, moments for all of us, not just for the NUG, but you know, for, for, for the Myanmar people. And these are being referred to the uh, ICC for, um, yes. as war crimes. Yes. Crimes against humanity. Indeed. Okay. You're receiving a lot of support from around the world it is patchy and there are issues with uh you know, old favorites china russia mm -hmm. how do you think asian has fared this year under indonesia i ask that because uh, brunei was the chair of asian as the coup unfolded and uh, was sharply criticized for not doing enough Cambodia then took over the chair and uh, there was a lot of pretense about doing things when really not much happened at all. In fact, I, I think I remember General Min Hlaing referring to the then Prime Minister Hun Sen as his brother. But uh, under the stewardship of uh, Indonesia, ASEAN does seem to be taking a much harsher stand. Whether they can actually do a lot is another question, but how, how how pleased or unpleased are you with ASEAN at the moment? Well, I, uh, you know, the National Unity Government really uh, relies on the support, the solidarity from our, you know, neighbors, closest mm -hmm. neighbors, including Thailand, China, India. They're not part of ASEAN, but you know, sure. Um, the, they're really important to, to us uh, in, in achieving 
the democracy and the you know the shared political aspirations that we have, you know that we're all fighting for. So, uh, with regards to the ASEAN and also Indo- you know the leadership of Indo- Indonesia, mm-hmm. so um, I think there's always uh, room for improvement and that there's always things uh, that could be. Uh, there, there are always you know more things you know that that could be done uh, to to be uh, worked for. So you know as uh, naturally uh, there where there have been things and uh, instances where we we would we would we would go and say oh yeah maybe you know this shouldn't have happened or maybe they shouldn't have been invited or maybe this could have turned out differently. There are things like that that make us say you know okay. Could have been a different outcome. Uh, right. Could have been. Uh, You're referring to Asian summits and, and exactly. statements that are issued afterwards. Right. And, look, right. and what's not being done, right. uh, which immediately comes to mind, is the humanitarian aid and exactly. opening up corridors and yes. safe havens for people. Right. Right. So uh, there will always be, uh, you know, we would like our neighbors and also you know partners, counterparts from ASEAN to to even take a. Um, tougher stance uh, when it comes mm-hmm. to you know standing up against the junta because they 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 really need to uh, hear these uh, you know are they need to, they really because the junta the lang- the only language they understand is is force right and as long as ASEAN really uh, you know it's most of ASEAN member states are closing up to the junta in Naypyidaw I think uh, May Online will just see them as very Hmm. not formidable enough for him to even like take them seriously so that's so, my perception it's an interesting take I, uh, I've covered ASEAN for decades and uh, it was just before the foreign minister's summit last year and uh, Hun Sen had asked Lang not to execute the pro-democracy advocates hmm. and I really believe that the foreign ministers all assembled there, including from Australia, mm. Anthony Blinken from the US turned up, and Wang Yi from China. And I, they were genuinely shocked when they actually did it. Mm. Hun Sen asked them not to. Mm. Personal favour to my brother. Yes. And they went ahead with that. Mm. And that really did shake them, I think. Yes. What was it? What was your take at the time? Oh, I mean, that was that was uh, that's quite quite a blow to all of us, and it was really uh, uncalled for, and it was it was I think they went too far, and you're right about you know Hun Sen, you know, sort of trying to intervene and calling on his brother, quote unquote yeah. brother, to to really come on, uh, you know, to try to kick some sense into his head, but that that was really a futile sort of endeavor, right? Mm. Because uh, the junta still went ahead and executed our, you know, our brothers. So that was that was a very uh, it was uh, it was shocking uh, honestly. Uh, but that re- that also tells you how how out of touch the you know they are, and also they are prepared to go all the way to maintaining their grip on power to to you know on, on Myanmar, and there there's no way there's no turning back for them. And I I think that's how, that also shows you how rigid and also how. Uh, how full they are, you know, they, they, they sort of tend to live in their own bubbles and not really uh, listening to any anybody, even their closest allies. Mm-hmm. So it's it's also they're very delusional, and, and they they 
they think they could do whatever and like just get away with it, but which is not the case uh, this time around. And, and I really hope they will. I, I believe you know. And also, we're doing everything we can in our power to to bring justice to to these uh, victims who are unjustly you know executed and also extrajudicial killings. Really, that the uh, military has been right. uh, committing. Uh, steering back towards uh, the, the military, the conflict, the uh, with a couple of hundred thousand under arms. Uh, and, uh, my sources inside Myanmar are telling me, independently of other reports, which they they, they all concur uh, that uh, the NUG and the PDFs mm. are doing quite well. Mm. in terms of taking the fight to the military mm. in that they have uh, pushed it from the jungles mm. to the villages mm. and then to the outside outskirts of provincial towns mm. in Myanmar. Can you elaborate a little bit on that, uh, on the military strategy and how successful is it mm. at the moment? Well, okay, uh, I'm not well versed uh, on military, uh, you know, uh, strategies and, mm-hmm. and whatnot, but it also uh, this is really not my jurisdiction. But as far as I'm concerned, I think MOD has been incredible at, at the way they, you know, uh, they have been able to set up the uh, command structure and coordinating with different EROs and, and really trying to gain more grounds, more mm-hmm. territories, and also keeping them, right? So it's not just about, uh, you know, uh, uh, being able to pull off an offensive but also having a strong defensive and maintaining that territorial control so it has been you know i think mod has done a great job uh decent job so uh but in terms of this strategy and, and how they mm-hmm. really uh work with uh you know the fighting forces on the ground i'm not i'm not uh you know i don't right yeah i have all the okay. comprehensive the, the, one of the reasons why i asked is uh, there was another report out led to calls within the UN, basically that uh, the military can only claim to control about, mm. I think, 17% of the country. Thereabouts that uh, the uh, NUG PDFs are in charge of uh, perhaps 30% and the rest is disputed. Mm. And it was based on those rough figures that uh, people in the UN, uh, among others, uh, saying that uh, Myanmar should be declared a failed state. Mm. Do you think that's fair? Do you think Myanmar should be declared a failed state? Uh, honestly, it's not. It's not for me to. Uh, well, I mean, I, 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 I honestly, I, I think uh, you know, what what sort of uh, advantages. Uh, are coming out of this, right? This declaration right. that Myanmar is a failed state. But I think when you look at it, like when mm. you look at the situation on the ground and also how things are, what's happening in Myanmar, I think every indicator that you that you can use, I think it's showing that the country it's really, really on the verge of collapse. You know, right. you know the economy it's really not doing okay. Uh, uh, it's impossible to maintain impossible to maintain and and people are hardly surviving Mm. because you know there's crazy inflation and and basic uh you know uh commodities are are becoming so scarce and people are not able you know they can't afford to buy them like and there's also Mm. you know they are constantly under threat and there's there's no 
uh, resemblance of uh, you know peace. Sure. So they're always constantly worrying about you know what's go- what's going to happen next. So that sort mm-hmm. of insecurity also you know uh, feeds into the business uh, sector yeah. investment. There's no no sane investors are going to come in and you know have this sort of uh, thriving you know booming industry. That's just the reality of the country. Also, financial institutions are being hit by the sanctions. You know, right. uh, so that just paints a very grim picture for the country. So if that's I, I think if it was declared a failed state, uh, there's sort of certain parameters it has to hit. Mm. Uh, again, it would get political and with the United Nations. But if right. it was declared a failed state, it would make it easier for the rest of the world to act. I.e., this is a failed state. Uh, there are potential corridors that can be opened up from mm. Thailand into mm. Myanmar, which could provide aid, military support's another issue. Mm. But uh, how far away is Myanmar from that point? So I think there, there will be you know different views uh, mm. that people might uh, have and also bring to the table because uh, they... Uh, maybe reality is different for everybody, right? Because I'm, I'm current, uh, you know, for somebody uh, who is, um, you know, just going about their day in a sort of, sort of bustling street in Yangon, just uh, sort of uh, from a middle class back, you know, yeah. social class, maybe life is normal for them. They wouldn't see us as, so they wouldn't experience this as sort of, uh, you know, kids uh, still go to school, you have electricity, day. you exactly. can afford because, because they're still fortunate and they're still privileged enough to to enjoy these privileges despite the rest of the society succumbing to poverty and i think more, more than 50 percent of the entire population is now under poverty lines that's according to the the un and, mm-hmm. and you know whatnot so that really it's the reality for the majority of the people but still there are uh, pockets of population that would still see it as okay we're doing still okay and maybe uh, that's a different reality for them, and they want, they will see us differently than we we do. Right. So, but me, uh, personal opinion uh, is that if if being declared a failed state will bring about uh, or or bring in more aid and and open up more opportunities for other countries to act on, I think uh, why not? And it's you know or if it helps uh, our revolution, the resistance movement to to. To really uh, gain more momentum and more strength, I I am all for it. But this is my personal opinion. Sure. It does not represent the voice of the NUG as a whole. But what would you like to see the rest of the world do over the next twelve months? What would you like to see Asian, Thailand, India, yes. China? Yes. China is a bit of a stretch, but what yes. would you like to see the rest of the world do? The rest of the world, we 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 we've been you know saying this ad nauseum to our allies, to, you know democratic forces. In the West and also our neighbors in Southeast Asia and East Asia, practically uh, any country, you know, any, uh, from all the countries in the world, you know, our message has been consistent and clear. We need more. Uh, we need their support, and that support has to translate into something tangible, and also that could also be the political support recognition mm-hmm. from from our close allies, uh, the U.S., EU, and Australia, and. And our, uh, you know, East Timor, East Timor has been awesome, amazing. They have been, uh, I think, uh, their solidarity has has had an immense, an incredible impact on on the resistance. And the junta is not taking it lightly. I think they have just expelled the. They uh, have yes. So I mean, 
Maybe that recently will... expelled with diplomat. Yes, yes. So our message to uh, what we would like the international community to do more of mm -hmm. is to we need more sanctions, not just uh, from. Uh, uh, we need when it comes to sanctions. I think these sanctions have to be more coordinated, more more strategic, and more uh, sort of uh, thought through. So it's not like right. coming from sub uh, uh, separate sort of uh, you know states, but also as a as a like contorted effort, including financial sanctions financial from within sanctions. Asia. You've had Singapore yes. banks have been caught doing yes. deals with the junta. The government yes. says, oh, we didn't know. However, yes. yeah. So also, you know, uh, global arms embargo, I think it's been on the on, right. on, on, on the list, but then it's not... Well, also the materials having, list that can be right. used to make arms out. Exactly. Sort of, so yeah. the spare parts, you know, like yep. dual-use technology. So these are really uh, things that, that really enable the Junta to, to uh, be still be operational and, and carry on their, you know, uh, military operations, like aerial strikes, Mm -hmm. against unarmed civilians so those, those uh, also find out identify entities that are closely connected to the military and impose sanctions on them uh, targeted sanctions I'm talking about and, and also jet fuel it's controversial but I think jet fuel is also something that the also the US and EU have to like uh, take a tougher stance on and, and right. be more aggressive about uh, imposing sanctions on these companies and individuals that are importing uh, fuel to to uh, that 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 they, that they then supply to the military, right. and uh, obviously you know there are things like uh, you know uh, Burma Act in the U.S. So I think we're at a point where I think we're still working with the uh, uh, the authorities and 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 uh, people that are closely working on the Burma Act and the appropriation uh committee right. so U this is in the united states in the united states right. so to to really you know expedite the process so you know the sooner uh the aid really gets to the ground i think that will really help speed up the revolution as well so everything mm -hmm. that we do every decision that the senator makes uh i think every correspondence matters so there are things like that the in, uh, individual member state can do uh in, in the context of the sure. eu and also the us and australia to to be more I think I think they also have to come together and, and really uh, I think set a good example. I think the ASEAN sometimes uh, I think my message is that the the West, especially the U.S., should not take a back seat uh, mm -hmm. when it comes to confronting uh, some of the difficult right. questions. This questions. is one of the issues yeah. in that ASEAN has positioned itself as this centrist power structure. Mm within mm. Southeast Asia and East Asia and the Indo-Pacific now mm. in that you deal with ASEAN if you've got a problem in the region. Right. And ASEAN has not lived up to the expectations when it comes to Myanmar. Indonesia has tried and there's a lot of logistical realities in sure. doing this. And at the same time, I've heard complaints out of Washington from one US congressman comes to mind that the problem with dealing with the NGG is you're never quite sure who you're dealing with because there are so many different mm. around people to deal with around that. How long do you think it will take to get this together? It's kind of a, the NUG, the relationships, the PDFs, the, you, you work in the international arena with the NUG. How soon would you like this kind of structure to get rolling how, how oh as, as soon as possible right 
because uh, like I said, uh, I think the international community also, I think uh, they also ha they're also doing their own analysis, right? Because right. Uh, they're dealing with this entity, right? The NUG, okay. And then I think for for them also, I think I think we need to be we the NUG need to also show them concrete evidence, right? That mm -hmm. we are capable, actually capable of uh, governing, and that we have the capacity to actually you know implement some of right. the you know changes. Uh, you know that we that we are pushing for, right. but then yes, and, and just as uh, uh, on what I was mentioning before, and that the NUG is capable of acting right. without ASEAN. Oh no, that's not that's not what we're trying. What I'm trying okay. to get at, but ASEAN is still you know it's it's critical uh, mm -hmm. in 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 uh, finding a solution to this conflict because ASEAN ASEAN should and must uh, uh, continue to be uh, one of the you know major stakeholders because they, they have a lot, you know, they have high stakes in, in, in this uh, political crisis in Myanmar because really, you know, whatever comes out of Myanmar, it's really affects, right. you know, all ASEAN, you know, because this is a regional block in, but yes, ASEAN, ASEAN, uh, I, I think, I, I think also, I think it's, it's, ooh, they should, uh, we're definitely uh, asking for more, uh, support and, 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 and more sort of overt, uh, uh, concrete, mm -hmm. you know, sort of support coming from the ASEAN, especially Malaysia, Indonesia, Singapore, and, and the Philippines, and East Timor, now East Timor, although it's not. Sure. Yeah, so, no, almost yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, almost. On that note, David Gumong, thank you very much. It's been a delight. Thank you, Luke, for having me. Cheers.